Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. We are studying a book together of the Bible. Sometimes we will take a topic, like how God speaks, and other times we read through a particular book of the Bible. I don't know if you know this, but Paul had a young man in his life named Timothy, who he had sent to a church and often gave him sort of instruction of how to lead that church. One of the things he told Timothy was to actually read scriptures out loud when they were together. And scriptures would be what we call the Old Testament. That was the Bible they had, the scrolls. And um, Paul said, Timothy, you have known the scriptures This is in 2 Timothy 3, if you want to know where it is in the Bible. He said, you've known the scriptures since you were just a child, and you've been raised in the scriptures, knowing that they make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. All of the scriptures are breathed by God, and they're they're profitable for instruction. They're profitable for correction. They're profitable for rebuking. They're profitable so that you can grow and become a man of God, thoroughly equipped for every good work that God's called you to. So it's, it's good to read the Old Testament scriptures. And even like the scriptures we're going to read today, which is one of the chapters that some people would skip over often in their reading, because it's a list. And sometimes you run into those and go, um, I'm going to get to something more interesting. But to kind of frame where we are, we're reading a book called Nehemiah, And I'm just going to sit and get more comfortable reading this book called Nehemiah. And it was written, it's the the memoirs of a guy whose name is Nehemiah. He was someone who worked in a court of a king at a time when the Persian Empire in the 400s BC was the, the biggest empire in the history of the world up to that point. Um, There... I'm thinking, how much do I want to tell you? But I see there's some new faces, so I want to re, you know, get you in the, in the flow of where we are. The context is there's this nation called Israel, the people of God. God's created a nation. He's given them a way to live. He's made a covenant with them. And he's told them, if you break my covenant, if you don't do what we've agreed to, judgment will come, and I'm going to use another nation, the nation at that time called Babylon. It's about where Iran is right now. I'm going to use that nation to come in and bring judgment to your people. And in fact, you'll be exiled away but I love you. And when I'm done bringing judgment to you through Babylon, I'm going to bring judgment against Babylon because I know how they are and they're going to be really mean to you. So I'm going to ju- they're going to be wicked and evil. I'm going to judge them, but you'll be exiled, a bunch of you, into another nation, and you'll stay there 70 years. See, I mean, God just laid it out. This is what's going to happen through his prophets. And after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to rebuild your temple. Well, it happened. Um, The king Nebuchadnezzar came in with his armies, and he just messed up the capital city, Jerusalem. He destroyed, I mean, to the ground. Picture this building to the ground, nothing left, rubble, the temple of God. He brought his armies, and they had, it was a walled city, so it was protected. You know, some of the areas of the wall were 20 feet thick. Can you picture that? That's a thick wall, people. Tall walls, walled city, safe. Nebuchadnezzar came with his armies and burned and destroyed these walls so that it was no longer a safe city. 
He um, destroyed, there were gates to get in and out of you know, areas of the wall. He burned and destroyed many of them, so they're just left in a mess. Um, but God did what he promised. He brought judgment against Nebuchadnezzar when the Medo-Persian Empire came in and overtook the Babylon Empire, right? So this is the time now in our story where Persia is the ruling empire. King Cyrus is one of the kings, and then there's Darius, and then there's Xerxes, and there's Artaxerxes. Some of those names might, might sound familiar. Nehemiah is a guy who's serving as the cupbearer to the king. He's the guy when they're going to give a glass of wine to the king, the cupbearer drinks it first. So if it's poisoned, the king doesn't die, the cupbearer dies. Um, fun job, huh? Anyone want to sign up for that? But he was also a good friend of the king because he was always with him tasted his food, drank his wine, and chatted with him. He was an advisor. He had to know all the politics that were going on. That's the guy we're reading. Um, and a point came where, this is years later after that exile, people had gone back to Jerusalem. They'd built the temple. They had worship going. A lot had happened in the first part of actually the book that we're reading is, has another name in our Bible. It's called Ezra. If you didn't know Ezra, Nehemiah is one big book. Ezra and Nehemiah. So we're starting in the second half of a book, if you didn't know, in Ezra. So Ezra and Nehemiah would be one scroll together in the um, way it was put together by the prophets. And Ezra is a you know, contemporary of Nehemiah. He's the one that's established worship. Anyway, someone comes from Jerusalem, sees Nehemiah. It's a relative of Nehemiah. goes, how's things going you know, over there in Jerusalem? And, and the word was, um, I'm going to read it to you. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. And there was famine. It was a bad place. Nehemiah goes into weeping. Um, he gets a kind of a burden. Not kind of. He gets a burden, a weight that's from the Lord. And he begins to pray for the people, his people, whom he's never met because he was born in exile. He was born in exile. He, was not ever, he never lived in Jerusalem. So, you know, it's, it's years later after this exile. Born in exile, and he gets a burden, and he gets a calling from the Lord, and he gets a vision to rebuild the walls, and he ends up going back to Jerusalem and oversees the rebuilding of all these broken-down walls. Well, that's an interesting story, but what does that have to do with us? Well, the way we're applying it in our time for you and me, that was that pregnant pause, make sure everyone's good class, um, the way he's applying it for us, the way we understand it, is that you and I, like all peoples of all times, live in a time where there are places, peoples, communities that are just like that, broken down, without defenses, messed up, oppressed, maybe in disgrace, and that it's always God's business. It's his way since the time of Adam and Eve to restore what is broken. And that he always seems to do it in partnership with people. And suddenly we're brought in now into this story going, hmm, where in our life do we see broken down walls? And maybe will God give us a burden to help rebuild something else like he did to Nehemiah? So we're looking for principles for our lives, not just reading a story. We're looking for how should we live today. Good? I feel like we're kind of... So that's where we've been. Now... By the third chapter, where we're reading today, Nehemiah is writing in his journal here that we're reading that he's back in Israel, in Jerusalem, and he's about ready to launch the building. He's gotten a vision from God, 
and he's gotten a plan. He shared it with the people. They've said, yes, let's do this, let's build. And we're going to read a list of names. We're not going to read the whole thing, by the way, but we're going to read some of lists of names and people that were doing things and where they were doing them, and we're going to look for some application in our life. That's where we are. You ready to go? Lord, would you help us understand your ways? We come to you longing to grow and be changed by you. We love your word. Lord, we love your presence. We sang it earlier, and now we even say it again to you. We love your presence. Be pleased to make your presence known here in ways that every person would experience. The living God is amongst us. Draw near. For those of us that have many doubts, draw near. To those of us who are full of faith, draw near. To those of us that have lives that are like broken down cities, draw near. To those of us that have been in strength and in a good place, and you're calling us to help others, draw near. Draw near, Holy Spirit, and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so God's always building. I just want to get that in our mind as we, we step into this. Remember, uh, Mo, in Moses' time, God was rebuilding. At that time, the people of God were in a bad place. They were basically a big ethnic group that had come to another nation as, as refugees. Remember that? They were looking for food. They were starving in their nation. They ended up in Egypt, and the Egyptians began to abuse them. Israel wasn't really a nation yet, but God said it's time to build a nation. So he called Moses, gave him a burden, gave him a calling, and called him to lead these people out. And a, a people that were just messed up, living like slaves, were formed into a nation. And it's so powerful that the words that were written, the law of Moses, to define how their nation should live are what our culture today is built on. That's how effective it was thousands of years ago. If you go into our Capitol buildings, our Supreme Court, Congress, you will see images and pictures of Moses getting the Ten Commandments because it's impacting us to this day. It's part of our history. So God forms a nation. Um, later they got in bad place. As you read through the Bible story, you get to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You get to the book of Judges, and they are a nation, but they are a mess. And Judges is a sad story. By the end of the book of Judges, you see that there's chaos and violence and confusion. And it ends saying, um, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you read the last chapter of Judges and you're like, what on earth am I reading? This is depressing. But the next chapter is Samuel. God calls Samuel because it's time to build. And God takes that messed up nation and forms a kingdom. And he forms a kingdom with David at the throne. And now worship of the living God is at the center of the life of a nation, which it hadn't been to this point. The nation now has a, a kind of a form and they're taking shape and they become a world power at that point. So God's always building. In the time of Jesus, what did Jesus say? I will build my church. So Jesus began building his church and called 12 apostles who were called to build his church. He started his ministry by saying, the time is now, it's time to build, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God means the rule and reign of God. When God is getting his way in an area, that's called the kingdom of God, the dynamic rule and reign of God. 
So he establishes a church. The church, by the way, isn't the kingdom. The church is the people of the kingdom. Who are the people that God calls to build with him as he's building and spreading his kingdom around the world until the world is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea? Devin, your story was being part of being a builder that God called you into for a moment for a person whose life was like a city without walls, broken down, hurting, and you were part of the process of rebuilding. That's what we're talking about. So now we get to last week, which was just the second week, and we said this. When God is going to build, he looks for a people. By the way, the topic that we're using for the whole, title for this whole series is taking your place when it's time to build. Taking your place when it's time to build. The idea of being God's a restoring God. God is building in their seasons when he says, okay, it's time to do this. When he does that, he finds someone and calls them to take their place. And I'm calling you, take your place. But you've got to find out how do you be a person who can take your place and what is your place, right? So that's some of the stuff we're learning. Um, so we said, when God is getting ready to build, he will share his burden and looking for a person who will share his burden, who will receive his call, because sometimes a particular need has your name on it. You know, and you're praying, and you're praying for a problem, and you realize this is different than other problems. This one feels like this one belongs to me. And there's a burden from the Lord as you're praying. God's looking for a people who will share his burden, receive his call, and catch his vision. Vision, we said, is a picture of a better tomorrow. Vision is a picture of a better tomorrow. Anyone can come up with a vision, right? Any kind of creativity at all. You're, you're human. You're made in the image of God. You can make up a vision. But there's a difference when God has a vision and he gives it to you. And we're talking about Holy Spirit-inspired vision. God's looking for someone who will, when he's going to build, share his burden, receive his call, catch his vision, and be launched into mission. That's how we played it out last time. And that will probably soon be up on our podcast. So um, you can listen to that if you want to. Mission, we said. Vision is a picture of a better tomorrow. Mission is God's plan for making the vision become reality. That's where we were last week. So now we get here and we say, well, what happened in chapter 3? I'm just, I set that up to remind you, you know, repetition's a teacher's best friend. Always be praying. When a need comes your way, be praying for that need, of course. But notice if that becomes an unusual burden that you are to step into intercession with. And then notice if God begins to call you to be part of the solution. Some of you in this place are in that process right now. I know your story, some of you. Gives you a calling, and then he shows you what it could look like if it were better. You see, oh, I could see how this could be different, how this wall could be rebuilt, and this broken life could be redeemed, and how I could be part of that process. And out of that, you'll get a vision that you catch. You'll be launched into mission, and you'll be called to share the vision with others who will come alongside you. That's where we find Nehemiah as we get to chapter 3. Now, I'm going to only give you three principles today, and if you're interested in remembering stuff, you might pull out your device and open up a notes app and 
write things down or pull out a piece of paper. You don't have to. And in fact, if you, if you after you leave today go, I thought he said there were three pencils. I didn't even catch what they were. Contact me and I'll tell you. I'm pretty easy. So, <laughs> so here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Launches right into this. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. That's, guess where the sheep gate was? That's where they brought the sheep in and out. Sheep would go out to pasture, right, to eat, and now you bring them back into the city if there's an area where you have sheep. Probably also it would be some of the sheep that would be used in the temple worship, you know, for the sacrifices. Um, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. So there's going to be a list like that that you could see you might get bored with pretty fast because you don't know any of these people and you don't know any of these places. And that's how this whole chapter lays out. But here's, here's the principle I want to grab from here. The first person to be mentioned as a builder of the broken down wall is the high priest. The high priest, you know, think the Pope. If you saw a building project, would you expect the Pope to be out there with a hammer? Tool belt on, right? So this guy has some, some high position in society, but he's not above working. And what, what I, here's the first principle I want us to catch. That since we all come to God through his grace, by faith in Jesus plus nothing, all of us are on level ground. The high priest, the prisoner. We're all on level ground. And the idea that something, some job, some anything is beneath me is absolutely foreign to those that understand we are servants of Christ. This is an important principle. There's two places or angles or perspectives you could have on this. You could be someone who says, I am less than, everyone else is above me, because that's what your life has taught you. In Christ Jesus, that's a lie. No one is above you. You are on level ground because we all come to God by grace, through faith in Jesus, plus nothing. None of us show up and say, this is what I can offer you, God. I got a good deal for you. None of us do that. All of us come empty-handed with nothing. Nothing but Jesus so just know, if there's someone that you look up to in, um, in their faith life, they're no better than you. No matter your story. If you see someone whose family's intact, and you came from a family that was not intact by a long shot, and you feel I'm less than, because if anyone knew what my dad did to me when I was a child, they would have nothing to do with me. That's a lie trying to destroy you. You are on level ground with that other group that looks like they've got it together because they actually don't have it together. Secret. When they look like they have it together, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know, they've been in my office. <laughs> None of us have it together. We're on level ground. But on the other hand, if for some reason you have an inflated view of who you are and who your status is, you might need to be reminded that there's nothing beneath you. Elisha of the high priest, first one called, he gets ministry. Listen to this passage from 
the Apostle Peter writing to leaders in the church. He says this, 1 Peter 5, To the elders that are among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, elder being the, the ones that are in leadership, a witness of Christ's sufferings, one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. I, I was there with Jesus, he's saying. But here's what I say to you. Be shepherds of God's flock. Do you, what do you picture when you picture a shepherd? Picture sheep. There's a gentleness. There's a caring. There's not a lording it over, and that's his next words. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money. Ooh, well, that could happen in a position of leadership. Look at these people that are following me. I can get some money out of them. No. Eager to serve, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples. Here's how you lead, like Eliashib, be an example. Example to the flock. And then when the chief shepherd appears, because you're just an under-shepherd, and Jesus is the chief shepherd, you'll receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. The guy that was the first, really launched the, the movement of churches that were part of the Vineyard Movement, a guy named John Wimber, who went from a high place of, um, of position in the world. He, he's the, he was a producer and a, a music, an accomplished musician. He was, when God called him out of his life away from the Lord, he didn't know the Lord, he was putting together a band called the Righteous Brothers. And he had contracts worth millions of dollars. And when God called him, God said, I want you to lay all that down and serve me. And he lost all of the prestige to serve as nothing. He didn't have any plan or hope of being some leader. He just gave it up to follow Jesus. Well, he said something that was really interesting that will help this thinking maybe. He said, you know what? I'm just changing God's pocket. He can spend me however he wants. If he wants to buy a sandwich with me, he can buy a sandwich with me, right? I'm the change. He's the Lord. That kind of humble attitude is super helpful, folks. So the first principle is we're on level ground. There's no nothing beneath me. Second verse of Nehemiah. How are we doing? We're doing good? Okay. The men of Jericho built the adjoining session, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to him. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam and Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But the nobles would not put their shoulders to the work, to their work under the supervisors. Uh-oh. Tekoa, the nobles thought, oh, that's beneath me. Actually, they wouldn't, the Hebrew there says they wouldn't bend their necks. And there's a word picture of an, of an ox that's going to be into labor who needs to bend its neck and not be stiff-necked when the master puts a yoke over the ox. They wouldn't submit to the to leadership of of Nehemiah. But what I noted here, I want to stop and do another principle, was over and over through the chapter, and beginning here, you hear next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him, next to them, next to them, next to him. Do you hear that? Or look at it again in your Bible if it's open. So there, these people are working on this section, another family's on this section, and they're like next to each other, and next to each other, and next to each other. Um,
First of all, they're all building. Everyone has a place. That's the name of this talk. Actually, the name of this talk is Everyone Has a Place and There's Someone for Every Place. Everyone has a place and there's someone for every place. We're starting to see that there, and I'm going to do something about the next hymn. But listen to this, this verse from 1 Peter again. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in various places. When it's time to build and you take your place, I want to suggest that you take your place next to someone else who's taken their place. <laughs> Have you ever been part of a project where there's other people working on the same project, but you're not in contact with them, and a voice comes and says, you're all alone, and you get discouraged? Have you ever been part of a project and you can see all the other people working on the project and you're energized, right? You're motivated, you're excited, you see what they're doing, you want to beat them so you work a little harder. And you, know, it's, you feel like you're part of something. When you feel like you're all alone, you are in trouble. When you're serving in the body of Christ, if you think you're all alone, you will get discouraged, almost definitely. You're the rare person who won't get discouraged. And you might feel like, I'm the only one who's working. Remember Elijah? Remember Elijah, who said, oh God, I'm the only one that's left. Why don't you just kill me now? Do you remember that story? And God said, Elijah, there's 7,000. But he didn't see him. So you become discouraged. You might get angry, going like, where's everyone else? How come I'm the only one doing the work? Right? You know the story. I think there's a principle there to work next to someone because we need each other. Listen to this wisdom literature from Solomon who said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Well, one person has a good return for their work, but Solomon said two are better. They have a better return. Pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be power, overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So here's um, principle number two. We need to be encouraged when we're working for the Lord. When it's time to build, take your place next to someone else who's taken their place. And you'll be helped. And the work of God will go forward because two are better than one. Let's keep reading Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 6. Then the Jeshana gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besodeah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mitzpah Melatiah, Melatiah sorry, of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranath. By the way, if, you were, if you're um, going to have a baby and you're looking for baby names, don't look in this chapter. <laughs> Places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Well, that's interesting. The, these other governors are working. Uziel, son of Herhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired to the next section. Why couldn't they just call him Goldstein? And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. I stopped when I was reading that and went, wait, a goldsmith and a perfume maker? You picture those guys as construction workers? Goldsmith and perfume maker repairing a wall. 
Hmm. And, um, well, I, I said this in my email to you, if you got my email. Billy Graham passed away, you know, not that long ago, and his sons were, his children, not his sons, his daughters and sons, were invited to share something about their dad in three minutes or less at the memorial service. And by the time the youngest son, Ned, got up, he noticed that his sisters and brothers had taken way more than their three minutes, so he was going to be really brief. And he said this, this is a quote, I just want you to know that my father was fat. He was faithful, available, teachable. I just want you to remember that, faithful, available, and teachable. May we all be that way. And he sat down. Profound words. So the third principle is be fat. <laughs> now, the third principle is that the best and most important ability is availability. The best and most important ability is availability. Um, I, and there's lots of scriptures I could read about that. I'm going to just read one scripture um, Paul writing to the church at Corinth in the second letter. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ Jesus before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. Someone said God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That has, I've seen that over and over. There are people with gifts very good skills that are often used to do the thing that they're skilled to do in the body of Christ. And that's wonderful because you feel like, wow, I was made for this thing I'm doing. But often the start is be available, be fat, be faithful, be available, and be teachable. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He's made us competent. He has made us competent. As ministers of a new covenant, not the letter, but the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You and I have been made competent as ministers of the new covenant, of the new relationship with God by grace through faith. Go on, read a little bit more. Chapter 3, verse 9. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem. So we're going to see a variety of people if we kept reading. There's men, there's women, there's rulers, there's poor people, there's goldsmiths and perfumers and... You know, every kind of person. But they repair the next section. Joining this, Jedediah, son of Harumaf, made repairs opposite his house. Some of the folks did it right in front of their house, which would be convenient. And Hatush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Elkijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, <laughs> good names for your kids, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of strangers. Uh, I think you'd get bored if I kept reading. <laughs> so I, suffice it to say, when God's building, there's a place for everyone. And there's a someone for every place. When God's building, he's probably going to give a burden and a calling to someone who he's going to give vision to and a mission to accomplish the vision, the picture of the better tomorrow. Probably he's going to give that someone a vision to cast to others. And I will be either one with vision to lead a group of people, or I'll be one who's fat, and I will join the person with the vision. But in either case, there's 
a place for everyone. When God is building, take your place. And there's someone for every place, so take your place so there's not a hole in the wall. All of us have a calling. All of us have places to serve. You will grow when you're serving. I'll end by reading a section of um, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, where the same concept that I just gave you is written using the picture of a body and all the parts. You with me to the end? Can we read another, like, two minutes of reading? What a good class. All right. One classe. The body, this is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The body is a unit. It's one, though it's made of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So there's many, there's one. He's talking about unity and diversity. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, the slave or the free. Same kind of picture. All kinds of people, all kinds of places in life. We're all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If you look at yourself and go, well, I'm not what that person is. I guess I don't have a part. You wouldn't stop being part of the body. You're still part of the body. Guess what? There's a place for everyone. Everyone is part of the body that belongs to Jesus. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've been incorporated into his body in the world today. You have a place. And if the ear should say, well, I'm not a die. I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. (laughs) Now he's going to get funny or scary. If the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? And it would be kind of a scary-looking body. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Would you please be comfortable with how God made you and where he placed you? You are important. You're not me and I'm not you. You're important and I'm important. There's a place for me and there's a place for you. And there's a someone for every place. In fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You are just as God wanted you to be. You are just right. Get this. You are just right. The family that you were born into was just right for you. The financial situation that you were born into was just right. The place you were born was just right. The color of skin that you were born into was just right. The language that was spoken in your house was just right. The level of health you have was just right. God takes what looks like something we wouldn't like and says, I will redeem everything. The place that you were born into might not have been what God originally intended when he made the world in perfection, but he allowed free will to be put in place so that there could be an abundance of love. You couldn't have love and the perfection that's possible without free will. Because there's free will, people have chosen to rebel against God, and because of that, you and I all have pain, and there's all something wrong in our lives. All of us have something wrong, but... God is not thwarted by things that go wrong. 
Your problems are not too big for the Redeemer. Therefore, I can confidently say where you were born, how you were born, who you were born to is just right because God redeems it to make you into the very person that's needed to fulfill the place that you've been called to fulfill. If you know that, I'm telling you, if you get a hold of that and believe that truth, it's empowering. Oh, okay, God's using everything. I'm okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. El Señor es mi pastor. Nada me faltará. That was for you. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There's a place for you. I lost what I was reading. (laughs) Oh, I cannot say to the hand, I don't. Oh, this is another perspective. I can't say to the hand, yeah, I don't need you. You ought to be an eye because we eyes are special. No. None of us can say, I don't need you. By the way, in America at least, in times of divisiveness, some of us act like we can say, I don't need you to other parts of the body. And that's not okay because we all need each other. Every part's important. So we love each other. The the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, by way of learning the repetition, I'm going to tell you those three things again. I'm going to try to In grace, we're all on level ground. Is God perhaps realigning you today to think about the fact that you're on level ground? You're not beneath, you're not above. Maybe the Spirit of God's speaking to you, adjusting your thinking. You're not less than, you're not more than. We're all on level ground. No job's beneath you. No job's above you. You have value in God's eyes. Are you remembering that you're just changing his pocket? He can spend you however he wants to. He can send you wherever he wants to. He's God. We're his servants who are well-loved because we're also his children. The second was this need to build next to someone. Are you feeling alone maybe? As isolation got a hold of you, maybe God's calling you today to remind you, get next to someone else. I mean, as simple in this room today, you heard Shannon say, I'm opening up my house so we can be next to each other. You might need to get next to someone so that you get encouraged out of your discouragement and you get strengthened out of your weakness. Listen to the Lord if he's calling you that way. Are, are, are there some who are not taking their place because, well, you're stuck in the the paralysis of analysis. 
the paralysis of analysis. I just got to find my calling. Well, if you can't find your calling, I suggest you get fat. Faithful, available, teacher, teachable. Well, I'm a goldsmith. I don't do construction work. I make perfume. The wall's being built right now. Go and go pick up a hammer. Pick up a hammer and, and start building somewhere. Now, how that works out in your life, I can't tell you. You know, these are unique situations. But we have a God who speaks. He has a spirit, the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit. And what we can do to be a kind of people who will take their place when God is building is to be a people who listen to the Lord even more than we listen to Netflix. I know there's some great series on there, but don't let it steal our time with the Lord. People who spend time in his word, listening. People who, when we discover a need, step into prayer for it. That's simple. And in prayer, we pray for the need and we listen. Before you know it, you might catch a burden. You might receive a call. You might catch a vision. You might be launched into mission. If you are, know this, you're going to face opposition. I could wrap that, I think. You're going to face opposition. We talked a little bit about that. We'll probably talk more about it next week. Let's, um, let's stand together. That would be good. We'll just change our posture. The blood will move in our bodies. We'll begin to land the ship and end our time. But, the, you know, I think the Lord is here. Do you, do you think the Lord is here maybe? Huh? Because we've gathered in his name. Do you think the Holy Spirit's here speaking to some of us? Let's invite him to speak. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you. We repeat the words that your followers have repeated for hundreds, thousands of years. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Let the kingdom of God be upon us today where you rule, you reign, you get your way because you're in charge. Let the kingdom of God come upon us so that we can join you in defeating the kingdom of darkness so that evil will stop getting its way in our world. Come, Holy Spirit. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, you're a good choir. I love your presence. I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. I love, I love. love your presence, Lord. Kent, would you bring your worship band up? People that pray for folks, if you could be kind of down in the front. (sighs) 
if you're here, I walked through those three things and showed you know ways that it might be that the Lord's speaking to you. You can respond more fully by coming in and grabbing someone and saying, you know what, pray with me about that thing and describe it. If you're here and you want to know Jesus personally, you may have noticed that some of us know him personally. You can probably feel that. You pick that vibe up. It's legit. It's not fake. You can know him as well, just like all of us. Invite him into your life. Say, God, I invite you into my life. I want to give you my life so you give me yours. I want to follow you, Jesus. Take over. Forgive my sins. We both know about them. Wash them away and make me new. Give me a new life. That's a simple prayer, folks. And it's legit and it works. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Take your place when it's time to build. There's a good chance it's time to build right now. I'm going to leave the stage here, uh, turn it over to the worship band. He's going to lead us in a song or two of worship. Um, we don't like have a hard ending. It's time to go. You can go. We have kind of a soft ending. <laughs> They're going to lead in worship, and you can worship and interact with the Lord. You can get prayer. You can kind of leave as it's time. Um, but know this. I want to bless you with these words that Moses was given to bless the people of Israel. He said, Bless them this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you rest. Be blessed today, my friends. Be blessed. And let's go and take our place in God's kingdom where he's building redeeming, rebuilding, restoring all this lost. That's our calling as we follow Jesus. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.